Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banner Podcast, where birders talk birding. I like to think that every day when I get to talk with a fellow birder for the podcast, that it's a good day. I have to admit, though, that although my, my guest for this episode is good, I mean really good in my opinion, that talking with him is not what has me most excited about this day. Today, the Seattle Mariners will play the Toronto Blue Jays in the first postseason Mariners game since 2001. I grew up in Maine as an avid Boston Red Sox fan and lived through the curse of the Bambino. That's the myth that Boston was cursed from ever winning a World Series because of trading Babe Ruth to the Yankees, who then went on to dominate baseball for decades. Then I moved to Washington. I had the great experience of the 1995 miracle year when the Mariners overcame a broken wrist to Ken Griffey Jr. and went on to overtake the Angels and then beat the Yankees in the first playoff series before finally losing to Cleveland and didn't make it to the World Series. Uh, but uh, that was exciting. But since then, it's not been good. We had the great year in 2001, but since 2001, the Mariners have not been to the playoffs. Uh, and I am super excited that this afternoon, the Mariners play the Toronto Blue Jays in first postseason baseball in 21 years. So I'm, can you tell I'm excited? I'm excited. Anyway, I managed to focus on the podcast this morning and put this episode on the bank. By that, I mean have it all ready to publish later while I'm traveling. I have a big bird trip to Antarctica, South Georgia Island, and the Falkland Islands in November, and I've been trying to record a few good podcast episodes to drop while I'm on that big trip. And this is going to be a good one. I talked with Doug Hitchcock, a Maine birder who recently saw his 400th and since then his 401st and 402nd Maine species. That's a big number for a Maine birder, and Doug's still young. Doug's a staff naturalist for Maine Audubon, uh, and so it was a lot of fun talking about his birding story and about birding in my home state of Maine. So help me welcome to the Bird Banner Podcast, Doug Hitchcock. Doug, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for doing this with me today. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm from Maine, and to talk to another Maine birder, that is exciting. Although I, I can't call myself a Maine birder. When I lived in Maine as a kid, I wasn't a birder, and but I am every summer when I go back. Uh, and speaking of Maine birding, I uh, I read on a tweet from uh, Nick Lund, the, the birdist, Nick Lund, uh, that you saw your 400th Maine species recently. A uh, big number for a state like Maine. Tell me about that. What bird was it, and how did that come about? Yeah, 400 was a really uh, fun goal to to shoot for. Um, not many people have ever done it in the state, and and most of them have a few more decades of birding under their belt than I do. So uh, it had always kind of been a, a goal that I thought I would achieve in my lifetime. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of it is thanks to kind of my... Um, my work, my availability, uh, but finally got to see my 400th species this summer in Maine, which was uh, white ibis. Maine's only had white ibis a handful of times before all of them were <laughs> before I was actively birding. So it was one of those, um, uh, uh, you know, species that I was just waiting for. You know, we, we knew they'd show up They're They're really rapidly expanding, especially in kind of the, the northeast, the um it was just a day or two before uh, it was actually a flock, a, a kind of a, a really funny thing to get this report. We saw it as a photo that was posted on a Facebook group that there was just this one uh, immature white ibis um, photographed at a, a marsh down in Wells. So in Southern Maine. And I had to lead a bird uh, for Maine Audubon that morning. So it couldn't be their first thing, but got a message from a birder who was there and I think they just said, like, there are many of them, which is a very like, what kind of typo are they talking about here? But um, there were 30 something birds in this this flock that showed up. So Maine went from having like, I think, four previous records to now, you know, a flock of 30. Um, and for most people, you know, especially south of here, white ibis will um you know, it's it gets I, I I hate the phrase, but the trash bird status, especially for folks down in like Florida. Sure. Um, but a really good one to see up here. And, um, you know, I, I happily added it to my list uh, at number 400. Yeah. White Ibis was a, a bird I got in Washington, too, believe it or not. Well, I think it's probably less. I, I think maybe maybe I got the only one. I don't know. One or two. uh 
you know, times in Washington. And, and it was before I was listing, I was, I was a avid birder, but I really wasn't a lister. This is to, oh gosh, maybe 30 years ago. Uh, and I'm out on a trip with some friends and they said, well, you know, there's been a white ibis hanging out somewhere. Let's go see it. So we just dropped over. He was plucking around in a barnyard, eating angleworms, <laughs> been there for half the winter and said, oh, that's cool. I, I didn't think much. I'd seen him in Florida and said, okay, white ibis. And, but it's nice to, now that I'm a lister, it's nice to have it oh, on yeah. my Washington list too. Excellent. Very good. What have been some other notable recent species you've had to add it to your list in Maine? Yeah, you know, it's a funny one thinking about hitting 400 was uh, uh, like, you know, I think many birders do. We're always kind of dreaming like what is, you know, what birds could we see? Uh, I've got a little spreadsheet uh, where I was actually trying to project out how long it would take me to get to 400. And geeking I did this out big time. I like it. <laughs> geeking out. Go. And, you know, trying to apply different, like whatever we want to call it, like species accumulation curves, thinking that like, okay, over time, I'm probably going to only add one or two more birds a year. When, once you hit around 350 in the state, you really, you know, like many places, you're, you're, you're reaching a, a certain cap of, fewer and fewer possibilities, but Maine has had an amazing run of rare birds, especially ones that I think were just on absolutely no one's radar. Uh, of course, I, I think the the most famous one recently was the stellar sea eagle that showed up at the end of last year. So it was essentially New Year's Day when everyone, uh, or excuse me, New Year's Eve when everyone connected with that bird. And then it Hung around for a few months in the state, which was really incredible. Um, the the thousands of people that came to see that was was really something. Uh, one of my favorite like fun facts of that uh, thing that I spent a lot of time doing. I, I you know went up to see the bird myself, but then spent so much time trying to help other people see it mm -hmm. and. That was mostly all through things like blog posts. So on Maine Audubon's website, so I'm the staff naturalist for Maine Audubon, uh, was writing a blog that we were updating every day with, you know, exactly where it had been seen, you know, links to maps, whatever we could do to help people uh, see the bird. And in just the month of January, that first month of it being around, mm -hmm. we had we had over eighty thousand unique viewers to that blog post. Wow! Which Maine, you know, Maine has a much smaller birding community uh, than that. So to to just think that that was getting you know so much attention, so many eyeballs, that was a really really cool one. Yeah, technology has changed the way birding goes. Funny story along those lines. We had a Nazca booby in Washington mm. this summer. Uh, and uh, it one day it, it, it would be seen for a day or two and then to go out to the out on the sound and not be seen. And and uh, one day it was seen on a barge, the seagoing barge was being towed to Alaska. And somebody found this ship, find a ship app, uh, <laughs> and uh, found the the URL to follow that barge on this ship app. Uh, and so birders were downloading the ship finding app, following the <laughs> this, I don't know what the name of the barge was, but this barge, as it moved through the Puget Sound and saying, okay, the barge, it looks like it's going to pass this point. They'd be racing up to this point. To, oh, there it is. There goes the barge. And there's wow. the bird on the barge. So it was, uh, <laughs> that's the, the latest, greatest way to follow a barge bound bird is on some ship finding app. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. That's such a... Um... I guess, you know, birders will have fun debating ship assisted birds with, <laughs> with that. Yeah. yeah. But, I um, think, I think they've come to uh, grips with, if they want Nazca booby there, I think they're all ship assisted. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a funny one that, the, you know, the, the quick one I'll mention that a bird that has given me a little bit of heartburn lately, it's, it's now sitting at 402 on my list, but I feel like I need to put a big asterisk next to it because we caught it. We were, we were bird oh, banding mm -hmm. and it was western wood peewee mm -hmm. which maine only has one previous accepted record it was mm -hmm. a bird vocalizing in the spring yeah um one day wonder and so there's this funny aspect of like i you know the purest in me doesn't want to count this yeah. bird that we caught well, at you the saw same it time. free flying after you let it go <laughs> right exactly <laughs> it, and it actually we we got it to vocalize after releasing it using mm -hmm. playback 
Um, but there's still the you know, I'm sure there's going to be some listeners to this that are like, you can't count that. But there's yeah. a funny aspect of like, you know, I, I I don't know how I could ever. It's such a hard bird to identify in the field if it's not singing. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it's funny. I think pre 400, I probably wouldn't have counted it. But now that I've I've crossed crossed that, you know, funny number um it's all of a sudden like yeah i i feel a little better counting this yeah like, i think you know i i tell people it's your list you know it's your list it's right. my list and i get on my list what i want on my list and i have to sleep with my list and you've got your list and you sleep with your list and we'll both sleep well <laughs> i like that yeah some people count honest to goodness barnyard chickens on the list and good for them i don't <laughs> care you know i'm not in competition with them uh anyway uh, doug tell me your birding story you're still, how old are you you're pretty young yeah 33 right now wow 400 birds. <laughs> wow and you that's a that is amazing 400 birds by 33 in maine uh that's <laughs> I, i'm i'm blown away you have been going at it tell me your birding story how'd you get started in birding yeah, um, you know, I, I always wish that I had kind of a better origin story because it was almost like the 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 pieces were there where I can say I, when I was in elementary school, I went to the main Audubon summer camp, mm -hmm. uh, except like what I remember from going to camp there was that that was the same or at least one of the weeks I went was the same week that the Pokemon movie the first movie came out so mm -hmm. this you know as a uh, probably 10 year old kid um you didn't get that, to go that week well that was <laughs> this was like the bribe i guess i got from my parents was like if you're good if you go to camp then friday we'll pick you up from camp we'll bring you and your friend ian we'll take you to go see the movie when you get out of camp and that's that's what i took away from going to the main <laughs> audubon camp as a kid oh, um boy. I still ha I still have the that uh, the the um, collector edition Mew card that they released on that that first day. So I you know it took a little while later. It was it was not until I was in uh, high school and essentially got my license. Uh, so got my license, got my first car. There's a longer story here of I I bought a camera because I saw a cool picture of my car, which was a Honda Civic. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's a great first car. And I saw this picture online and I said, man, I want to be able to take a cool picture like that. What kind of camera did he use? It was a Canon Rebel XT. Mm. So I bought that camera, took a picture of my car, and then realized like the the person who posted that picture online was just really good at Photoshop and making it look really cool. <laughs> so, so then I had this camera and was just taking pictures of like everything around, um, you know, my parents' house at the time growing up in, in Hollis, a very rural town kind of inland from 20 minutes inland from Portland. And um, there was a bird. It was it was a chipping sparrow sitting in a little uh, cherry tree we had in the yard. And I, you know, crept right up to it, got really close, took, you know, some good photos, then went inside. And the uh, only field guide we had was that National Audubon one that has like the three pictures of the birds organized by color. It's like the worst field is, guide. Yeah. And everyone buys it for you when you start birding <laughs> that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, you know, flipping through it, um, uh, I, I identified it. So I thought by just looking at the pictures as a clay colored sparrow, and then flipped to the back, you know, those those flimsy pages um, and started reading about clay colored sparrow. And and that's a very that's a pretty rare bird in Maine. They're mm -hmm. very restricted. Sometimes we just see them, them in the fall. But anyways, like to read about and realize, oh, this. No, that's not what it is. That can't be here. Uh, and I think it even said, like, you know, often confused with chipping sparrow. So then I had find chipping sparrow. Oh, yes. Common abundant bird here. Uh, and that whole investigative process to like go take a picture of a bird, come inside, look it up in this book, figure it out. And and ultimately, then I could like name I could label that photo. Mm -hmm. uh, then it became Chipping Sparrow. Yeah. And so I always I wonder, like, you know, I've been taking pictures of all sorts of butterflies and and basically any living thing in the yard, but we didn't have any field guides to those. So I always wonder, like, you know if we had a field guide to, to dragonflies instead, would that, <laughs> would that be my thing? Would you have um, your 400th dragonfly in Maine? I don't know. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> so it, it you know and it uh kind of spiraled out of control from there that it turned into okay i want to see more birds that's how i ultimately found uh main audubon's website um back in the day uh they were writing the weekly rare bird alert so mm-hmm. um eric hines i'll give a shout out he was the staff naturalist at the time um definitely had a huge influence on me as a as a early birder and you know i i'd read his reports and there was especially one um there was an ash-throated flycatcher that showed up that fall um and i remember reading you know he had said all the stuff that birders you know we expect nowadays but to read this for the first time where you know birders reported an ash-throated flycatcher you know at the uh, Saco yacht club it was seen on the 17th 18th mm-hmm. no sightings on the 19th returned you know back again this is uh the seventh record for the state and that just blew my mind there are people out there like keeping track of this bird day by day they know that this is the seventh record for maine and, you know, and I'm flipping in my little book and seeing that I, you know, would have to go to Arizona if I wanted to see one. And instead, this is 20 minutes down the road from my house. Um, and yeah, so there's, you know, to connect it back to like that car. And all of a sudden I had like my car, my camera. And I used to, you know, I didn't like that little field guide. I would print out pages from allaboutbirds.com. Mm-hmm. So like my target birds, I would just have these stacks just printed out of, of you know, whatever target I was looking for for the day. Um, and it's kind of funny that like early on, it was that um, it was kind of, you know, the rare bird alert was how I like learned what other birds were around me. So I've, mm-hmm. I've kind of always had that uh that interest, I guess I'd say, of of what are the unusual things uh, that I can go go track down. Very cool. So that's a different story. I like that. <laughs> uh, got, yeah, one of the birders started birding with a camera, like many young birders, and became uh, kind of a lister and a chaser right from the get go, uh, and had uh, had good mentors. That uh, a lot of those uh, sound like other birder stories, but it's pretty unique. I like that. Very <laughs> cool, Doug. The other one I should quickly mention that uh, because I was in, you know, in high school, uh, like this, this perfect age, my mom, uh, you know, I I almost give her a little grief for this now. Like, you know, she steered me, you know, in this, if we want to call birding the wrong path, but, you know, uh, in in the correct path, she got me a copy of Kingbird Highway. And especially for like this coming of age story for, you know, a high school student just getting into birding to to read Ken Kaufman's, you know, big year attempt, uh, you know, at that essentially that same point of his life that uh, I, I don't know how many times I've reread that book now, but I probably read it five times that first year. So that was a, a definitely a huge influence. Yeah, it is. It is a wonderful story. He is such a good writer. For anyone listening who hasn't read that, Kingbird Highway is the story of Ken Kaufman as a 16-year-old, uh, uh, basically dropping out of high school, taking sabbatical from high school with his parents' blessing, unbelievably, uh, and hitchhiking all over the country, eating cat food, and and just the most incredible story you know of passion and adventure and travel and quest it's a it's a great book but whether you're a birder or not it's it's a well worth the read i, I don't know if it's still in print but it's easy to get i'm sure uh kingbird highway shout out for that for sure uh so doug uh you did that and then where did your career go from there you went off to i'm sure you have some further education yeah, uh, stayed in Maine, went up to University of Maine at Orono. Uh, for folks that don't know, Orono is kind of in, in central Maine, just north of Bangor. You know, had kind of a funny path there where, you know, birding was just a hobby, not really anything I I I like to say, you know, it, it never presented itself as like a career opportunity to me. I say that despite the fact that like uh, my aunt is essentially an ornithologist, like, you know, I'd always had that that kind of family connection, but it was kind of funny that I I never saw it as a career path for myself. Um, so up at Orono, I ended up studying uh, a business, business administration with a concentration in finance of all things. And it, it mostly, you know, because uh, I like to think as an 18 year old, I really didn't know what the right thing to do was. And, and I at least it, it made sense to me. So uh, the nice advantage going up to Orono 
they have an amazing wildlife department. The uh, so the electives that I could take were were absolutely amazing. Um, kind of funny to you know convince there is a like upper level uh, avian biology course that especially towards my senior year I was like oh, I have to take this. Like I, I was fully bitten by birds at, at that point. And funny to have to like go to the professor. I had none of the prerequisites, you know, convinced him, uh, Brian Olson, give a huge shout out to uh, Dr. Brian Olson. Um, he does a lot of work with things like sharp-tailed sparrow, the sharp-tailed sparrow complex, I should say, Saltmarsh and Nelson's. Um, one of the best professors I've ever had. And he, he let me take the course. I'll always remember uh, we had just learned about... Um, the uh, avian respiratory system and here comes the first exam of the of the class and you know the question on the exam was compare the respiratory system of, of birds to mammals and here i am i'm like great i've got like i know how it works in birds but you know having <laughs> never taken the <laughs> mammalogy or, or you know even knowing what's what's going on in in my own body I I failed the first quiz because like I could only speak to the birds, which is a, a funny perspective. Um, but uh, I I should you know also say like the, being in school at Orono, uh, that's when I also got my foot in the door at Maine Audubon, working for them in the summers. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a wonderful uh, little nature center down in the Scarborough Marsh that oh, Maine Audubon wow. runs. Fabulous. And one of the positions they had posted was for a, you know, store manager, which I thought like, man, that's how I could put that on my resume. No one will really know that, you know, the most of my time I'm doing bird walks, canoe tours. And yeah, you know, it is running that that little store running up uh, uh, sales and, and all the things uh, for tourists coming through. But so, you know, I got to be outside doing you know, what I what I love doing um, and ultimately kept kept coming back uh, each summer through college. Uh, and then I guess right after even after graduating, um, kept my foot in the door. Good for you. Uh, so I, I like that story. So, well, you know, it sounds like a management job. It kind of <laughs> could be a resume builder, but I get to go birding and take people on good trips. Vera, you're devious, Doug. You are devious. <laughs> Very good. Very good. So, Doug, I, I have had a chance. I've birded in Maine mostly in the summers when I go back to visit my family. And I know that you lead the, uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, the Gilsland Farm. Uh, yep. Gilsland, is that how you say it? The Gilsland Farm. I, I've been there two or three times. I went to find, of course, to find a little egret. Uh, but uh, I've been there several times. It's a beautiful place. It's just a, uh, what, what are walks there like? And tell me about that. Yeah, Gilson Farm. Um, so it's in Falmouth where Maine Audubon's headquarters is. It's one exit north of Portland. So very accessible to uh, a lot of people. We, especially through the pan, coming out of the pandemic, uh, decided to make all the bird walks free there. We're trying to make it as accessible to really anyone as possible. So I'm really happy with that that recent change. But we do them every Thursday morning. It's about two hours. Uh Gilson Farm is is just kind of a gem. Um, it's about 65 acres right on uh, the Presumpscot River. So, you know, and again, for where it is, it has an amazing diversity of habitats. So we're on the river and, it, and it's really the estuary. It's right where it uh, dumps out into Casco Bay. So you can get things like sea ducks occasionally coming in, as well as all the freshwater species. There's two large meadows uh, that we uh, bush hog every other year. So some of them can, you know, uh, they used to host a lot more things like bobolinks and, and meadowlarks going back in time. But many of those grassland birds, um, unfortunately, declining. But uh, anyways, long story short, it's 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 a great kind of uh, very diverse bit of habitat. Um, and we can, in those two hours, cover a, a good section of it. So... Uh, I'm coming up on uh, even before I got the job as the staff naturalist there, I was helping uh, took over leading those bird walks. So next spring, I think it'll be in June, it will be 10 years of leading those walks for me. So I've, I've put together a good uh, patch list there. That's that's probably my my favorite patch. 
I bet it is. Uh, I, I've I've visited there, and it's uh, it's really uh, a fabulous place because in in a couple of hours you can you can walk down and see the marshland birds and get some waders and you know likely get an ibis or some certainly some egrets in the summer at least and things like that. And there are raptors often around and the and the birds of the field. You mentioned bobolink. I don't think I had that there, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a bunch of grassland birds and some, uh, I think you've got some cattail marshes there. Yeah. Uh, and then you just go up the hill a little bit and you're in a nice um, uh, a deciduous woodland, like a big woodlot. Uh, so it's really in paths all through it. So, and a little agricultural area for the common sparrows and stuff. So it's, it's really cool. Yeah, it's wonderful. And uh, you had mentioned the little egret. If there's one bird I, I think I can toot my horn about is, um, my kind of history with little egrets in Maine. So I had been working in the Scarborough Marsh for uh, several years, leading the bird walks down there that they, we do on Wednesday mornings. And uh, in 2011, I was leading that bird walk. It was this kind of foggy, not so great morning. Only a couple of the regulars showed up and we go out on the Eastern Trail, one of the mm-hmm. best places to go birding. Very good, um, yeah get out to these big salt pans uh, where a lot of the waders congregate and kind of like magic all of a sudden you know there's this one egret with this very long uh, or two long plumes off the back of the head and you know that was that ended up being Maine's first uh, little egret so that's a you know that's the dream of birders I feel like is, oh, yeah. is finding something rare and unusual and and I like to think that's that was like my perfect example of like I led those walks every Wednesday for several years and finally you know put in the time and it it paid off uh, ultimately like ended up finding Maine second um, I think someone beat me to the third then when I started working at Gilson Farm we hadn't seen the little egret in the state for a little while. But someone reported a uh, white-faced ibis uh, at Gilsland. So I ran out. Um, they said it was at a spot that it was uh, you could get close and, and get photos. And I was like, oh, well, sounds like I can step away from my desk for a minute. I'm down photographing the white-faced ibis and a little egret flies in. So this is a, a few years uh, after those those first records. So that was a fun one of like, it. it then I felt like I had this... Um, whatever connection to this rare bird that I kept finding in Maine. So, and ever since then, now Little Egret has become almost annual at Gilson Farm. Um, interestingly, they're now hybridizing with snowy egrets, which is getting really tough to identify some of these. Uh, we even think there's one that might've like back crossed with a, a pure <laughs> snowy. So uh, it's it's kind of a disaster now, especially uh, you know being out west. You you can appreciate the the gulls. Oh how difficult our, those our hybrids Olympi- are. Yeah, uh, Doug is talking about our Olympic gulls here in uh, the Puget Sound area. It's pretty hard to find a Glaucuswing gull these days uh, because all of the the western and Glaucuswing gull hybrids in every. Yeah, we usually say that that has a lot of glaucous winged aspect to it. <laughs> that that's really close to a western gull, you know. So yeah. Pretty soon we say they'll be just big gulls and little gulls. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Big sea gulls. Big seagulls and little seagulls will be the, <laughs> the two species. Uh Doug, uh, I looked at your eBird profile, I guess, and, and c- thank you for your work as an eBird reviewer, by the way. I I just uh eBird is such a fabulous resource, and it's not in small part to the great reviewers we have all over the place doing good work. Uh, but so thanks for that. But I saw that you have uh, you've got a pretty good list in all of the main counties. Is that just because you birded Maine a lot, or is that uh, like some of us intentional sort of morphing farther into the dark side of county birding? Yeah, it's um, and I should say, you know, thank you for the acknowledgement. You know, I I think uh, eBird reviewers so often um, you hear about the the bad side of the bad experiences people have, but so many, you know, of us, you know, as volunteers are are trying to help and make everything better. It's 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 such a tough thing to try to communicate with people about birds they you know think they've seen or or whatever it is, and it's it's always tough when when we weren't there, but. Uh, I'll I'll try to encourage everyone to, you know, realize that we're just trying to make that the best database it, it can be. And I, and I, I think Hallmark, a lot car- of- Hallmark Cards needs an eBird reviewer day. I think that <laughs> that should be next up. Yeah, 
And I'll encourage people actually read the emails we send you. I can't get over how many people just get defensive. And it's like, no, I actually like I was, you know, anyways, that's an aside. But, uh, you know, birding in Maine is is definitely a, it's a fun state. It's funny to think about county listing, especially compared to some other states where people are, um, you know, very adamant. Maine only has 16 counties. They're geographically so different. Um, you know, the, being along the coast, it's it's not too hard to rack up 200 species in any of those um, those coastal counties. But then we have some like Piscataquis County, uh, which most people only go to to visit uh, Baxter State Park, climb Mount Katahdin, the tallest tallest peak in Maine. Um, really hard to get, you know, more than 100 birds in a, in a county like that, that you know, it doesn't, it's got some lakes in it, but none of them are really good for mm -hmm. waterfowl access is really tough. And, you know, I, I don't really consider myself so much of like a county birder. I definitely, I'm definitely, you know, the county lister. I'm, I'm a very opportunistic county birder. So a, a fortunate thing for me in, in my work is that I am all over the state all, all year round, um, whether it's doing programs, helping with birding festivals, and I'll always try to you know, look at my eBird needs alerts. What are the target species? Use those and and try to take advantage of like, okay, if I'm going to be driving up to Bangor, uh, Maine Audubon has a center up there called Fields Pond. Um, if I'm going to be working at, you know, Fields Pond for half the day, uh, what are some stops I can make like along the way? Can I can I pull over here in Kennebec County for that canvas back? Then I'll I'll stop in, you know, wherever it is so always sure. i'm always thinking about what what the options are the the only thing i will say is like rarities that's that's my favorite like uh we just had a says phoebe uh in belfast maine mid-coast area mm -hmm. i've seen one before in in the state but that was that's such a good bird that i was like yeah i want to go up and and see this again and so it was kind of funny to like you know be standing there the uh that was you know early october mid-coast maine uh, finally got my my American Pippet. One just flew over while we were there. And that's one of those like, ah, I, you know, there's some low hanging, easy fruit. Um, actually, Ruby Crown Kinglet was like the funny one looking at my my needs list for that county, which is already it's at 120 species, I think. Mm -hmm. And I don't have Ruby Crown Kinglet yet, which like I just I just need to be there in the morning one day sure. <laughs> so, when, when, go to a quiet place in the morning yeah yeah exactly so there's a funny aspect of like yes i i keep county lists um and this almost goes back to when you were talking about my my origin in in birding i was very i think of myself as very lucky that i found ebird very early on like I've, I've always had that collecting mindset again you know being a kid interested in pokemon that I, that slogan of gotta catch them all so this idea of like, okay, I need to be able to keep track of this somehow and, and very, very early on found eBird. And I probably, yeah, I don't think if, if I didn't have that, like doing all of this for me, especially from the beginning, I don't think I would be so interested in things like county lists or I'm, I'm closing right in on my, my 3000th county tick for Maine, mm. um, which is not something I would you know, again, if, if there wasn't a wonderful website like eBird keeping track, mm -hmm. I'd, I'd have no idea where I was. Yeah. I have to say, I, I, I didn't even, I would not have dreamt to be in County Birder if it weren't for eBird. Uh, but it's like, oh, it's, they just do it for you. All you got to do is go birding and enter your list and it's all right there. And there's some great counties in my state. I can't have that you know, on my profile. Uh, so mm -hmm. a, a funny Pokemon story. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, completely understand the correlation between pokemon go and birding i mean they're there i've never played pokemon go uh but my kids did and and i i got it you know right from the beginning uh but a, a good friend of mine art wong he's probably a little older than i am uh but he you know he is just one of these comfortable in his own shoes guys who's very eclectic he's an avid birder he's part of the early southern california birding scene 40 years ago you know he's in if you look at some of those websites you'll see art wong's picture on it and he was the state representative and he's just this brilliant guy and he's part of national audubon's board of trustees and all this stuff but and he's a a, a excellent birder but birding is not his all-consuming passion at this stage in his life. Uh, and uh, I met 
art oh a few years ago down on the rustaway waterfront and and he's walking around with his phone and i said are you eating he no i'm playing pokemon go <laughs> 70 year old guy out with his bins on and other things but playing pokemon go so i thought that was, yeah, made me smile yeah i i'll admit i still you know Probably the the common things I'm switching between when I'm out birding is between the eBird app, the Pokemon Go. Oh, you know what's what's popping up here? It's it's <laughs> such a you know I I do wish we had more uh, apps like that that are actually like encouraging people to get outdoors because whether whether you're into playing it uh, you know that game whether you're into birding I think just the idea that it motivated so many people to get outside um, mm-hmm. and I think that's what especially coming out of the pandemic there's. There's so many people realizing like the value of spending those those times outdoors. So totally. um, whether you're staring at a screen or not, you know, I, I think it's important that we're appreciating those those outdoor spaces. For sure. Uh, I'm going to switch subject just a little bit. Uh, a previous guest of mine, Christian Hagelocker, has worked at the main Audubon Hog Island camp uh, a few different times, I guess. Uh, and I think I saw somewhere, I, I, maybe on his Facebook page or yours or something uh that you knew each other from that experience what's been your experience there that seems like just a magical place to me yeah i feel so lucky to have been asked to uh help out with some of those camps um it's it's that same uh week that christian's been helping out with the um uh mountain to sea i believe is the the title of that that week uh where we we take the campers from spending half the week on Hog Island and the other half up at Maine Audubon's uh, um, Borestone Mountain, where we have some some lodges we can stay in. Uh, you know, I, I I think they first asked me just because of the connection with with Maine Audubon, um, where I guess I was the the local knowledge to to help out with it. But um, yeah, uh, uh, Ava Lark, who's been running that that camp, um, has been absolutely wonderful to work with. She does such a good job, like um you know finding uh, uh good teachers i learned so much from people like like christian and we've had a few different uh uh artists that kind of lead the the sketching and notebooking uh sections um and it's just it's such a wonderful opportunity and and especially thinking about it has a a draw for a lot of you know birders the the those young kids who like want to come to Maine to see their, you know, life or puffin. I'm, I'm sure that's a huge draw. We, we know it is <laughs> just from hearing of from them. But especially this summer, we had, um, I think there were four kids in the camp that we took them up to Borestone. We climbed the mountain. It's not, it's a, you know, it's a good hike, especially if it's your first time. Not super technical. There's, there's one section you need to use handholds. So it's, it's a good, it's a good mountain to climb. But there were like four of these kids, four of these campers that had never climbed a mountain before. And to me, like that is, you know, that's right up there with, you know, seeing your life or puffin. Like it's it's just such a a great opportunity. It's not all bird focused, which, you know, I like. It's, you know, it's fun to see these young campers that are so excited about their their lifeless and, uh, you know, are we're desperately trying to find them a spruce grouse or whatever other targets they have. But the camp does such a good job of like also being just kind of mindful of, of what birds are around. Um, and a big thing I've always tried to uh, focus on with them because Maine for the last five years has been doing a bird atlas and uh, uh, I was hired as the outreach coordinator for that. So uh, get to wear a couple hats uh, during the the week with the campers, but really getting them to like slow down and focus on things like breeding behaviors. Like why are these birds doing what they're doing? Um, and that's uh, uh, been a really fun thing to kind of make that connection and, and get to appreciate these birds because it is usually in like late June. Um, so it's kind of like peak nesting season. It's a really mm-hmm. good time to be here. Not, not accidentally that it's that time of year, I'm sure. Uh, good for you. So Doug, uh, t- I know you work for Maine Audubon. Maine Audubon is is different than some states' Audubons. I think you're an independent organization. Tell me about Maine Correct. Audubon and uh, and sort of uh, what your role is there and and what yeah. Tell me about the the organization. Yeah, so Maine Audubon is a independent Audubon, independent of national. Uh, of course, we always you know we have similar ideas where we're all about you know protecting birds. Maine Audubon does 
uh, work as a statewide wildlife conservation group. So we do care about all of Maine's wildlife and wildlife habitats. Across the organization, I like to say, you know, the the tripod is the most sturdy object. So Maine Audubon stands on the three legs of conservation, education, and advocacy. Keeps us nice and strong. So I work in the education department. We also, we've got a number of biologists uh, working in conservation and then some great uh, uh, staff advocates that are up at the the state house in Augusta really <laughs> advocating for, for wildlife <laughs> and make, making those changes. Yeah. So I work in the department in that team we have some like pre-k k through five middle school age educators and i kind of come in at like what i consider like the you know high school or or above really the adult educator if if that's mm-hmm. probably in, in parentheses by my title somewhere adult program coordinator do you have to be an adult to do that no <laughs> just <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and it's also you know i i love it because i'll also get pulled in to help out with like our summer camps for those younger kids because it might be like a bird themed week and um so birds are definitely my specialty i i, I do consider myself you know, an, an all around naturalist, you, you you really have to be, I guess, you know, there's not always birds to look at. You got to be able to point out the, the plants or, you know, when I, when I first started at Maine Audubon, like leading those walks down at the Scarborough Marsh, I was, I kind of hated plants and trees. Like the, they just didn't appeal to me. And I was so bad at just being like, Oh, you know, the one with the leaves, like it's, <laughs> you know, uh, but it really, it, it's a great skill to, you know, be able to, entertain that that whole time you're out there so uh anyways i you know have been uh i guess i just passed the nine year mark of of officially being the the staff naturalist and have gotten to do kind of all all sorts of kind of fun things whether it's leading our our local bird walks doing larger statewide tours if we want to call them that we we had started building out uh more of an international program especially pre-pandemic helping start birding festivals in the state kind of you name it it's 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 definitely been bird focused for me because that's again that's my specialty but um between all that and then as as i mentioned before uh i was through my role at maine audubon um was also hired to be the outreach coordinator for the the maine bird atlas so working with a small team on getting people excited to cover the whole state and and try to document what birds are breeding where very cool. You mentioned international birding. Uh, I saw again on your profile you've birded Costa Rica a fair bit. My daughter lives in Costa Rica, so I get to visit from time to time as often as I can, and am just starting to scratch the surface of birding Costa Rica. How, did you lead main trips down there, or did you spend some time on their own, or how how did how have you birded Costa Rica? Yeah, um, how lucky you are. That that must be wonderful to get get down there uh, and and see family. So my first trip was actually was one of these main Audubon tours. Uh, we've uh, got a great partnership uh, with Field Guides. Field Guides Incorporated, the, mm-hmm. the larger tour company. One of their uh, founders uh, is Jan Pearson, who lives here in Brunswick, Maine, oh. uh, just north. And he's been a longtime volunteer for Maine Audubon. We really, you know, appreciate all all the kind of work he's done for us, helping with a lot of boat trips and things, narrating those for us. And several years ago, uh, we were doing our trip out to uh, Matinicus Rock, a large nesting colony for all sorts of seabirds. It's a long haul to get out there. And, and during the kind of slower period as we're cruising back, I just asked John, I was like, you know, Maine Audubon, uh, uh, especially back in like the eighties or so had a, had a huge tour program, um, would do tours all over the world all year round. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I wanted to see about, you know, kind of tiptoeing back into that. And we really don't, you know, that's not what we're specialized in. We don't have the staff for it anymore. And so I was trying to pick his brain of like, what's the easiest way to do it? And he said, well, the easiest way is just hire us to do it. Um, so field guides has been pretty awesome to work with where we can set up kind of the parameters of when we want to go, what kind of budget we're looking at. And they're just, they're absolute rock stars. They have a a great team of, uh, they probably have a better title, but you know, travel agents who are there to answer the phone, help with Mm -hmm. your flights. So it's really a, it's a low lift for us, but we can provide these really unique tours to our members that are, uh, you know, sometimes even at a, a, better price or it might maybe even a better um 
itinerary. You know, we can customize it any mm-hmm. any way we want. So and you get to go with your friends too, in general. Yeah, which is which is really fun. Um, and so we had put together this Costa Rica tour uh, January of 2020, an interesting time to be traveling. But that was my first trip down to to Costa Rica. We we had Jesse Fagan as the other guide. Um, so it usually works that like uh, there will be myself, uh, a field guides employee, like one of their guides. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, depending on the location, we'll also have like a local guide. Um, so it's nice. It takes the pressure off me, you know, having never been to Costa Rica before. I I studied the field guide as well as I could. But the thing, you know, call notes in the tropics, like, oh, my, that was challenging. Uh, yeah, but I was happy to carry the scope and make sure it was set up as soon, <laughs> as, soon as we saw the bird. Um, but then uh, actually got back to Costa Rica earlier this year um, with a few friends and we uh, we copied a, a similar itinerary to what we had done and then added in a few areas like Cano Negro in the north mm-hmm. getting up. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, man, that was the best birding day I've ever had of my life when you... Um, I feel bad. I can't think of the the gentleman's name who took us out, but he's got this boat that you just you you sit on the front of it, and he'll. I think we had like it was over a hundred species, maybe a hundred and ten species, in just the morning of cruising around on the boat with him. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely in- incredible. I, I can't recommend that enough. I, I'll, I'll get back to you and get his name because uh, I I have found that when I bird Costa Rica, it, it's cool to go out on your own. But without a guide who knows the local birds, birding the tropics for me is it's a challenge. I mean, it's just more fun when you have somebody who can help. Yeah, especially when, you know, they've got this little boat and can, you know, they know the little tributary that they can get 10 feet away from an agami heron. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, we could have spent years birding in Costa Rica on our own and and probably never had that experience. So. He was uh, absolutely um, fantastic to to work with. It's always fun to go birding with a local. Doesn't matter if you're going to, uh, you know, the Gilstead Farm or if you're going to go to uh, someplace in Costa Rica. Having somebody who knows knows that. Well, if you turn just past that bush, you turn and you walk down that little path. Uh, yeah, that kind of local knowledge is can't can't replicate that. Mm-hmm. Doug, what what most about birding now just gets you excited? What what's your uh, biggest turn on about birding? Um, you know, a lot of this kind of has ties into the the work that I do. It's it's really showing people birds. Um, I you know I truly love rarities and and going on the chase and and trying to find them like that. That's definitely what always the the kind of awe around it of like how did that bird get here? We had a Eurasian marsh harrier show up in Maine a mm-hmm. month and change ago. And, and like that. that, that's one that I'm still just scratching my head over. But, you know, what's so fun to me is to like be at those stakeouts, you know, helping people, you know, having scopes set up. So, you know, on one end of the spectrum, it's it's things like those rarities. It's things like leading those those regular bird walks. Um you know, I've been in a few lucky positions to like find rare birds on my own, but it, it you know, it's not as much fun when like you're just high fiving yourself. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I I love being at a, a stakeout when like, you know, those bird, those, those cars are showing up and full of birders who are, you know, anxiously running up. Is it still there? And you can, you know. You love love the spotting scope sign when every spotting scope's aimed at the same person and there's an eye on the scope. That's the tip. The spotting scope has to have people looking through them at the same spot. Then you know you came at the right place at the right time. Yeah. And so I keep trying to think about like, you know, how can I be expanding that? Um, Not necessarily, you know, the the rare bird thing, but um, starting this year, we've been doing more of what we just call a beginner bird walk series. So we actually advertise them as like, if you've ever been to our, you know, Thursday morning bird walk at Gilson farm, this walk is not for you. Like we want people who are brand Completely new novice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even if you don't have binoculars, we've, uh, fortunately had, you know, they're not the best, but a, a good handful of binoculars that have been donated and, 
you know, they're, they're at least great. I often don't even bring a spotting scope on those, those first walks. Cause like if the bird's that far away, we're not even going to spend time on it. Like mm-hmm. I want birds that you can see well, you know, we'll go to places in Portland. Uh, the Eastern prom is a wonderful spot where there's, there's ducks that are in close enough. There's always, you know, there's tons of mockingbirds, which are, uh, especially for new birders, you know, so entertaining to watch. And, um, and I've finally fired, uh, not fired, hired, um, a, an assistant, we call him a, a seasonal field naturalist is, is the title. Um, so having someone helping out to really kind of expand our reach is, has been so huge. And I just think, you know, we're, we're trying to create more and more of these opportunities to get more people to appreciate the birds and, and, you know, other wildlife that's, that's around them. Well, good for you. Uh, the birding community needs ambassadors, and it sounds like you are one of them. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, so uh, I'm going to uh, wrap up by just asking, uh, what's the best way for someone to reach out to you, Doug, if they want to get a hold of you? Is it through the Audubon, or, or is there a better way? Yeah, um, two ways. I guess uh, through Maine Audubon is great. Um, we actually have a email set up. It's naturalist at maineaudubon.org. Um, that'll go to myself and, uh, Andy, that seasonal, uh, field naturalist. Uh, Mm -hmm. if you address it to me, you know, we'll make sure I I see it. Um, also on Twitter, I'll give that, that plug, uh, D Hitchcock's at D Hitchcock's, I guess. Uh, and people need to bear with the spelling of my last name. So D as in Doug and Hitchcock's is H I T C H C O X. Okay. So at at D D Hitchcock's uh, on Twitter, I'll put that as a handle. Alfred Hitchcock really made things difficult for me, you know, spelling it differently, (laughs) but also that he did did do the birds. Yeah. That's the problem. Cause now (laughs) all these people are scared of birds. (laughs) Anyway, Doug, thanks so much for being on the show today with, I appreciate it. Uh, Always fun to talk to Maine birders. I've kind of Maine is where I grew up and is a special place in my heart. So thanks again. Thank you. I hope uh, next time you're in Maine, I'd love to, you know, show around, maybe get a few county ticks with you. I will definitely reach out. Thanks so much. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Bird Banner Podcast with Doug Hitchcock. Thanks for listening. As always, you can find some information about the episode in the podcast notes and a lot more on the blog post on birdbanner.com where I add links and a lot more related information. I'll be sure to talk more about my Antarctica trip on a future episode, so stay tuned. And until next time, thanks for listening. Good birding and good day.